You're listening to the Neighbors and Nations podcast. Welcome to the podcast today. Sure appreciate you listening in. My name is Todd Stiles. I'm the host of Neighbors and Nations, a podcast designed to stir within us a heart for missions both local and global. And what a privilege today to have with us a very special guest, Dr. Kevin Azell. Kevin is president of the North American Mission Board, which includes both the SEND Network and SEND Relief. I've gotten to know Kevin a little over the last few years. As our church here, First Family Church, we've partnered with the SEND Network for at least five church plants out of our own church here. He has spoken for us here as well. And Kevin is one of those guys God is using to recast a vision for church planting here in North America that is not just broad, but deep, and it's been so needed. Kevin has been a pastor as well, so I'm really excited for you to hear some of his keen insight, not just as president of NAM, but also as a previous pastor. He brings so much to the table, and I think it will truly help us as he shares some practical ways both pastors and church members can develop a heart for the globe. Let's jump right into my talk with Kevin Azell on this episode of Neighbors and Nations. Welcome, everyone, to today's podcast. I'm really excited to have Kevin Azell with us. He's the uh, president of NAM, North American Mission Board. And Kevin, welcome to our podcast today. Hey, well, thank you so much. Man, I'm very honored to be a part of it. Well, thanks for your time. And um, you've been at NAM now for how many years? A little over nine years. Nine years, okay. Yeah, it'll be 10 years in September, yeah. Well, one of the things I know that's going on right now that's um, been really predominant is the Who's Your One campaign. We just kicked off uh, our own current season with that last Sunday, passed the cards out. And uh, what are you seeing happening with that across um, America and across our churches with Who's Your One? Yeah, we're very excited. We really see... I think you could define it as a, a movement. It's a re-emphasis, obviously, but really it's a movement of getting pastors and churches focused uh, back on being very specific about at least one person they could pray uh, pray for and hopefully have the opportunity to share Christ with. And it's really what the, that's what the church exists for. It's why we plant churches. It's why we do sin relief or compassion mercy ministries. It's about reaching people. And it's just uh, getting the Southern Baptist Convention, and really even beyond that, uh, getting believers, period, to focus on reaching others. So that's everything we do is about the gospel at, at NAM, and it should be everything we do at the church should be about the gospel. Yeah, you're exactly right, reaching people. And one of the things that I like to say to our people a lot of times is, um, you know, people are either neighbors or nations. It's kind of a, a larger way to categorize this thing, but we're either around those we know and we're close to, or we're sending folks to those who are far away. I'm curious, do you see NAM as more of a kind of a nation's ministry or more of a neighbor ministry? Yeah, it's, it's interesting to say that because we actually look at it's both. Okay. It's, it's not either one. We want to model and multiply. That's our hope. And so we look at it as like uh, NAM is not a church. We're here to come alongside the church and we help churches plant churches. We help churches do evangelism. We come alongside. We, we like to look at ourselves as gas on a fire. I mean, there's already a fire going there, but maybe with NAM's help, you can do more. We are convinced you can do more together. That's good. But when it comes to local and national, what we do is we try to model certain things nationally that can be reproduced 
locally. And so whether that's evangelism or it's church planning or it's send relief, uh, compassion, mercy type ministries, we'll say, look, here's a way that we're doing this toward poverty or sex trafficking or uh, internationals or refugee ministry. But you can also, here's how you can do it locally. We really think, uh, you know, it's helpful to model and multiply. And every church should be about multiplication. Amen. Church at Antioch was and Acts. And uh, we need every church to be thinking about how to multiply themselves. Yeah, I appreciate that about the modeling because, um, and I've seen that even at NAM and just visiting, um, you know, the headquarters there and being part of sending labs before. You do kind of get a picture of some things that you guys are doing or have uh, are being done locally. And you start thinking, how can I replicate that where I'm at? So I appreciate your heart for just exactly. modeling that. When you think about your nine years there now at NAM, what do you think have been maybe top two or three trajectory changing moves that you've made that have really affected, you know, modeling, multiplying here in North America. What are some significant things that have affected those two things? That's a great question. Thank you for even asking it. But I think one is to show and model efficiency in ministry. When I got to NAM, even the headquarters, the highest point in NAM's history, um, there were 425 employees at the headquarters. Today, we have 137. And the reason we did that was not because of money. It was because of efficiency and being a good steward. Mm -hmm. And so we reduced the amount, our footprint, if you will, administrative footprint, so we could put more missionaries in the field. We send up through all those adjustments that was very difficult to make. Those aren't fun to do. But our downsizing, we were able to save $20 million a year. And that's every year. That's a lot uh, of money. and so I think, yeah, well, absolutely. <laughs> and I think the reason I think it's a it's a good model that others have multiplies. Look, companies have been doing that. Secular companies have been doing that for years, looking for ways. How can you do more with less? That's one of our core values here is do whatever it takes. The second is to do more with less. It's, you know, we, we don't feel like we're limited by our budget. I mean, we, mm-hmm. we need to be about doing what right. we feel like God's called us to do and to pull that off regardless of the amount of money that we have. I don't, I really don't think the apostle Paul got his guys together and said, Hey guys, look, what's the budget for next year? Okay, let's go at it. You know, I think he just went at it. And then, you know, you just, you do live in a sense of dependency upon the Lord, obviously. And, but at the same time you have a responsibility uh, to do more uh, with what you have. And so that's what we've done. We've tried to reduce our footprint administratively and more money in ministry. And, and that, to me, is one of the most important things that we were able to do. And hopefully, you know, I, I did that when I was a pastor as a, in a church as well. You've got to constantly reevaluate things and say, look, we can't just change the, the date on the calendar and do the same thing next year and hope to get different results. You know, we've got to constantly be adjusting. Yeah, that's interesting that it's almost counterintuitive to think, how can we lessen our footprint? Because most <clears throat> pastors, and I think— even those who are trying to reach people, whether it's, you know, locally or globally, they're probably always thinking about more. And yet you're saying that yeah. when you first came to NAM, you actually wanted to think in terms of, at least in some ways, like, how can we lessen our footprint? So what, what leads to that kind of counterintuitive thinking? Well, I think, I think insecurity leads to it. I think quite often, I think some people look at how many people they lead and, you know, they feel more important the more people they have on, so, quote, staff. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my feeling is we need to constantly look to decrease our footprint administratively so we can have more people actually on the field. Mm, that's, good. that's good. And 
I think the church can do that as well. You know, we, we try to model so many different ways we can partner. Right now, you know, we're looking with uh, what's called the International Mission Board. We're working with them to look for ways that we could even do things together to lessen a footprint so we can have more people on the field. Wow. And you just need to constantly be doing that. I mean, that's why. And if you look, you know, businesses do that every day. You have to sing for your supper, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You have to provide value add. And for too long, you know, we just, uh, the goal for many is to exist. Wow. And I don't want to just exist. I didn't come here just to exist. I want to make a difference. And we can exist. I mean, but, but my word, if that's the re- I mean, we, we were not put here to exist. We were put here to serve churches. And if we can't show appropriate value, then we need to close our doors and let them save, you know, spend their mission dollars in another sure. way. So just thinking about neighbors and nations, your idea that, you know, it's a both and, which is really what Acts 1-8 says. You're right. It's both and. As you right. think about that, it's kind of led you then to, like I said, to, to decrease the administrative footprint so you can increase the impact footprint. Exactly. And, and help Nam understand, look, you are not the church. You know, it it was amazing. This this may be surprising to you. It was it was completely surprising to me. When I, I did a survey of uh, employees at Nam when I got here. As I said, we had over four hundred, and and I asked them who their number one customer was, and and pastors was third, and and like you got to be kidding me. And then, I mean a distant third, way I mean very small percentage, and and so. What I wanted them to see is, look, the church, you know, ultimately the church is our number one customer. Who leads the church? Pastors do. I can't, you know, I don't have the numbers of everybody in, in your church, but I have your number. And and so we can contact pastors, connect with the 45,000 pastors in the SBC. Those are our number one customers. Everything we do, you know, is focused around them. And so helping them understand it's not the church. Don't try to be the church but support it and and hopefully help multiply it. That's what we're here for. Amen. And I can tell you personally, Kevin, I've sensed that. I've heard that. I've seen that. Um, and it's really helped me and our church and our staff think more about neighbors and nations, just um, becoming your number one customer, so to speak. That's really made a difference. Um, when I was visiting down there a couple of times, you have this ability to be very plain spoken. You're very unassuming. Um, and I think it showed up in how you've led NAM and how you've led them with some of these um, real values. Has this just been a gift you kind of have always had to kind of just speak the truth into the air and let it kind of fall where it may? Or did you kind of develop it? Or is it both and? No, well, you're kind of say that. It's not, I wouldn't call it a gift. It may be a curse. <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, honestly, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't mean, uh, again, just being very clear. I'm, I'm a very simple person. But I think most problems and most things are pretty simple. We just we hmm. complicate them. And I think yeah. sometimes even in preaching, sometimes we make it so complicated that, that you know, the guy down the street or the plumber can't we just make it simple. It's just simple. It's just not that complicated. Yeah, that's good. You know, simplicity is a, not a gift. It's just something that I think if, if guys would just not take themselves so serious, I think I think that is a problem. Some guys are so insecure. They. You know, they just self-focus. Well, as a pastor in the past, um, you probably experienced this personally, just being able to, um, and learning how to make things simple. I mean, you were pastored, I forget exactly the name of the church, but you pastored for several years, right? Oh, absolutely. And uh, well over 20, 
and loved every minute of it. I still miss the pastorate incredibly. So how did that affect what you're doing at NAM now? How did God use that to prepare you? Sure. There were so many times as a pastor, I looked at NAM as absolutely no help. And uh, I, I, that's, I, uh, that's pretty honest. <laughs> yeah. And I, 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 I told, I told the uh, search team, I said, man, my, my word, you, you know, I, there were so many times I, I went to NAM for help and got none. And you go, they just saw me as an inconvenience or another phone call. And, and uh, I so badly wanted to, to partner, but they made it hard because it just didn't make it. It's simple and, and easy to do so. And well, you've made it a, a lot easier. Well, our purpose, you know, every time we come is to make it, you know, for our number one, we serve, we do whatever it takes to serve our number one customer. And I've seen no, when I say that, I, I know we're here to honor the Lord, but the purpose that NAM is here is to come alongside churches and pastors and, and every day we're working to make it more simple and, and easy. And it should be. You know, it should not be a hassle right. to try to partner with an entity. When you were a pastor for those years, tell me a little bit about some key elements that you found helpful in moving the needle of multiplication, whether it be to neighbors or nations. Uh, what moved the needle for you guys in your congregation? What like had to happen? What had to stop? How did you do yeah. as a pastor? Well, I think, one, people saw it as a primary focus of the pastor. I mean, if they saw yeah. your heart. And and where I, the way I was able to move the needle is I got my influencers in the church. I helped them see it. And so, you know, I I would I'm visual, so I would take them on on trips. I remember taking me of our guys to Guatemala, and they got a heart for Guatemala, but they also got a heart for reaching people and trying to meet poverty needs. And end up they went back to Louisville where I pastored, and they found ways to minister and connect there. But it was actually ignited in Guatemala. Oh, that's interesting. Sometimes we think we start here and we go there. But I took them there so they would even see the need down the street or in the shadow of our own steeple. That's really good. You're right. So when you're in the middle of all that, how did God signal to you that you may be moving away from that local church ministry to the work at NAM? You know, I, I just saw it, it, it goes back to model multiply uh, when I looked at the opportunity in NAM was a way to multiply where, you know, in our church, we were trying to plant five churches a year. Wow. And five and per year to go to NAM, five a year. And, and, uh, I had a heart to plant churches. I always wanted to be a planner and never, never, wa- never was. Oh, I, didn't I, know thought, that. I thought, man, I can be a pastor and, and plant churches. So we try to plant five a year. And, and then, but when I looked at NAM, I was like, look, I enjoy pastoring more and doing this. I can plant five a year. But if we go to NAM, you know, maybe we could plant 500, 600, 700 a year. And this way I can do, you know, again, pastoring is still more rewarding personally, but uh, I can come alongside churches and encourage them to plant more churches. So the end result, you know, the end result is there'd be hopefully hundreds more churches than if I just stayed at, wow. at NAM. Was that a, hard, was that that a real hard church. move for you to think about? leaving the people you love you've invested in and yet having a greater impact somewhere else. Was that, how hard was that? I guess it was, but I'm just kind of curious about the difficulty in that. With one, even nine years later, you know, it's just, you see your people and, uh, but, but you know, I'm not, not to focus on me. It, every person in their life, you cannot make decisions based on, okay, what's best for me emotionally or financially or, you know, when, 
if we really mean and we read those verses and we really believe in this, uh, it's not about us. It's about it's about Him. Amen. And that's not. And there's some advantages to doing what I I do. Um, you know, some of the the challenging things a uh, a pastor has to deal with. I don't deal with. I'm just saying personally, rewarding wise. You know, that's why I'm envious of pastors uh, all the time, especially this time of year. You know, when you get to see people, uh, you know, develop and experience things with their families. And, you know, I, and I just don't. I'm, I'm more I've gone wholesale on ministry <laughs> instead of retail, <laughs> if you will. And 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 so there's nothing, you know, I'm not whining about that, complaining. I'm just saying, you know, the blessing of seeing someone, you know, baptized and actually baptizing them and and that I mean I could be a part of the discipleship process of reaching somebody in disciple but to see it and be able to lead a whole congregation you know we're planting 700 churches a year coming alongside churches to plant 700 churches mm-hmm. a year but I don't get to go to any of those on a regular yeah. basis you know maybe once and so that's the part that you miss but at the same time it's like look my word you know I I I can get online and it's not the same though as getting to be there. I'm a, I'm a relational guy. So I like to hang out and I like to relate to people. And, and by nature of the job and man, you just don't get to, you know, when I was with you, you get to go in there for a weekend and you're out again. Right. And so you just don't, you miss the relational. But again, you know, I'm not whining. I'm just saying it's just different. I love what you said though, about uh, when you look at the picture, you know, what's the need of the moment or what's the need God's calling you to. And I think about, you know, both neighbors and nations, if our people would continually have that same attitude that what would God have me do to reach someone else, whether it be locally or globally, take ourselves out of the middle of that equation and put, you know, God's heart for people in there. I think we'd see more of a sending culture develop, whether it be near or far. Um, Talk a bit about, you know, the college kid who's, maybe going to be doing that. They're going to put God's heart in the middle of that equation, take themselves out and kind of what you said, what would God want me to do for the sake of the nations or for the sake of my neighbors? What would you say to that young college kid? Maybe the first step or two they could take to have that attitude going forward. Yeah. Uh, one thing I would say is we have, we have something called go to, and it's just encouraging every college student once they graduate to look, for two, you know, to look intentionally for the next two years after graduation, to be very intentional, come alongside a church plant, go work at, uh, to find a job, work a job to start your career, but come alongside and be very missionally intentional the first two years. Yeah. And hopefully that results in being missionally intentional sure. your entire life. But, uh, what we're really trying to get them to do is once, once they go and, and it's, it's, you know, we, can jokingly say somewhat the Mormonization of the SBC, <laughs> yeah. you know, trying to take take two years, be missions focused, and then I really, really believe that will change the trajectory of your life. It does, and it? so, um, yeah, and then you know, two years to go, hey, get a job, graduate with an engineering degree, great, go to Pittsburgh, get a job for two years. It's not going to hurt you professionally, and it may not be Pittsburgh, maybe San Diego, you know, it may be sure. Puerto Rico, I don't know, but. But just be two two years and then see what God does from there. Yeah. I think the go to thing, like you said, is a is a great mindset to get into to start early. Think about where you could live strategically and uh, even theologically for God's glory. So so what seems to be hindering the American church from 
a greater commitment to that, whether they're young or old? What what do you see as um, maybe a real obstacle to church planting being a priority right now in our culture? Well, I think it's just because we become so self-focused. You know, we get so distracted on 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 things and and sometimes we get distracted on there's nothing wrong with having a program or different programs but sometimes we can be so program focused that we forget to be missions focused and and mm. and we we need to be more about sending um and I, I just believe in the in the end of the day it's not about your seating capacity it's about your sending capacity right. and and how god views the church is not by how many it runs on sunday it's by how it's multiplied itself and how it's sent out. And, and you know, I think sometimes we've gotten the mindset of doing missions by proxy. And uh, what I mean is they, you know, they want to send their money in to do missions and not actually get their hands dirty. Right. And I think we've treated missions like having somebody mow our lawn. You know, it's mm. just easier to give somebody $30 a week <laughs> than to have to get out there and do it yourself. And money is a part of missions, but you know, it should never stop us from actually engaging and getting off our seat and moving forward. And I think your uh, exhortation earlier that you helped motivate your church, you said it wasn't by starting here and going there, but you often went there and it affected them here. That's a really good nugget there. But I think, uh, yeah, it's not just money, yeah. but go and see. Short-term trips have a unique way of really um, kind of mobilizing, we'll say, or igniting a heart for what's local. They really do. What's something you'd love to see God do before you die, Kevin? You know, obviously I have six grandkids, six kids. You always want your family, mm-hmm. you know, to see God use your family and they come to know him. All of my grandkids are all young and them serve the Lord. And, and man, the older you get, you just really learn to appreciate family. First of all, you know, honestly, my prayer is I finish well, and that would happen to happen before, you know, when you finish when you die. I just want to finish well, man. I tell you, there's so many guys train wreck, derail in the journey, and I just want to be faithful to the end and to finish, you know, faithful and focused. Mm, that's and, good, and make life really count. And in all honesty, Kevin, those two things are difficult to hold on to in the sense that I think sometimes we're wired, like you said about pastors, we want more, you know, uh, butts in the seat, so to speak. We want more bucks in the plate, and we forget that really what God's looking at is this sending kind of culture mentality, not how many you can see. And I think sometimes even personally, we think, well, if I end well by being famous or if I end well by being popular, and that's really yeah. not what God's after you, right? I love what you said about being faithful and focused, but it's hard to think that way when you're in the middle of the grind, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Day in and day out. But, but you know, um, it, you just got to be proactive and strategic. And one thing I'm trying to do in 2020 is to be more proactive in on my scheduling and make sure it's absolutely necessary in order to put, you just got to be strategic with your life. Mm-hmm. And like I said, you don't know how long you have. You just want to be, make the very most of it. And it's not that some things aren't good. It's just not, maybe not be the best thing to do. And we're just conditioned to say yes to everything. And uh, it's just important for us to be very strategic, you know, with our time. Yeah. Well, Kevin, thank you for being strategic with um, your leadership at NAM to help us stay focused on both, which is neighbors and nations, and helping mobilize thousands of churches to reach people wherever they are and to plant churches wherever they are. I really appreciate that emphasis, and uh, it's just been great talking with you, picking your brain a little bit, kind of getting a little bit of 
insight from you and some glimpses into your past as well as present. So thank you so much. Thank you. Listen, picking my brain takes about five minutes. And I really, <laughs> really appreciate you extending it. <laughs> well, one more question. Uh, some folks who are listening to this may want to connect with you in some way, uh, may want to learn more about NAM, or may want to uh, just connect in some way to the convention. How can they get a hold of you or maybe your staff, your office, or NAM? Sure. The easiest way is to go to NAM.net, N-A-M-B.net. And it has on there all those options that you just listed. Any way at all they want to contact us to do anything, it all funnels through NAM.net. Or they can always call us, but NAM.net is the easiest way. Okay. Well, Kevin, again, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. It's been helpful to me. I know personally, all our listeners will feel the same way. And God bless you, and thanks so much for your time. All right. Hey, thank you. Appreciate the opportunity. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Neighbors and Nations podcast. To learn more about how to support this podcast and our partners, go to toddstyles.net slash podcast. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe in your favorite podcasting app.